Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. Today's podcast is going to be a little different from what we usually do for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we've covered a lot of different topics on this podcast, and we jump around deliberately. We've talked about FX hedging practices, algos, macro trends, AI, ESG, the whole gamut of FX-related topics, but we've never discussed listed FX, and that's what we're going to rectify today. The second reason why this podcast is going to be different is because I have not one, but two guests with me today, and they're both colleagues of mine. Tobias Rank is head of FX product sales at Urex, and David Holcomb is head of products for FX futures and clearing at 360T. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Now, before I get started with questions, I just want to quickly reassure listeners who might be wondering at this point if they're about to experience a 30-minute product push from 360T and Eurex. I would like to reassure you that's not the plan here. In fact, if anything, I'm going to try and play the role of the skeptic a bit and push these two gentlemen on the topic of listed futures, how they see it developing, why traction is developing around certain elements of this marketplace now, etc. So let's get started. You both recently produced a couple of excellent videos explaining exchange for physicals, EFPs, and how market participants are using these products. I've been to various industry conferences, etc., where there seems to be a lot of traction around these. Now, we will include links to the videos for people who want to watch them alongside this podcast. But for the purposes of this discussion, can one of you just kind of outline what is an EFP? Sure. Very happy to. So I'm representing Eurex here. I'm looking after FX product sales for Eurex and EFPs stand for exchange for physical. They're traditionally stemming from commodities markets and they were or are a way to transform a future position into the underlying. And for FX markets, EFPs have been around for a while. They enable market participants to convert a future FX position into spot or actually any other OTC FX underlying. Could be forward, could be another swap, could be a cross-currencies swap. But the typical use case is to convert future into spot and, of course, vice versa. So when we think about potential use cases and why they're relevant, they enable participants to bring forward delivery. They also enable participants to convert a spot position into a future. So they have a clearing loading element. And they enable participants to build positions from scratch in OTC markets, while then using an EFP to end up with the futures position at the end of the day. I think these are the use cases that are mostly used currently. And how it works is an EFP is basically an off-book transaction. So it's it's a trade that is negotiated between market participants off the exchange bilaterally on a disclosed basis, for example, between a client and their bank. But it's registered with the exchange and it's involving two legs, for example, sell the spot and buy the future. So in opposite directions and they're taking place in the same currency pair. And with this swap-like element, I can move positions not only along the maturity curve, but also between OTC and ETD, so exchange-traded futures markets. You're going to have to forgive me if, if I'm being slightly obtusive, but David, a transaction that's booked off exchange and then registered on exchange, 
sounds somewhat similar to a block futures trade. Right? How do the two difference? Can you tease it out a little bit for me? Yeah. So the two differences between the block and the EFP primarily is timing for me. So a block futures transaction is an outright purchase or sale of a specific number of a particular futures contract, i.e. what's your price for 5,000 December euro dollar futures? And you get an outright price back from the provider. You agree to trade, it gets printed immediately. So you're looking at immediate risk transference. The EFP is more like an order. So you'll be asking the liquidity provider to provide a basis from OTC to the futures price. And there may be a time element to that. So you may wish to achieve a particular benchmark rate. So you want to print the OTC leg at today's WM 4PM fix, for example. So you'll ask the liquidity provider to give you the basis over that OTC rate, which is the thing that defines your futures price. The result is the same. You end up with your 5,000 December euro dollar futures. The route to get there is different, but they're both off exchange transactions. So they are both bilaterally agreed and then given up to the exchange to register, print and clear. Tobias, you noted that EFPs are nothing new, right? They've been around for a while. So I guess the question is, why is there a growing interest in these products? And why should people care about what these products are and how they can help them? I think that's a fantastic question because EFPs have been evolving to some extent from a very basic use case to move a position from a future into a spot delivery. And that's being driven by banks, very innovative players in the market who use this EFP element and build new services, additional services around it where the EFP itself is a utilizer. What do I mean by that? Banks can, with the help of EFPs, enable their clients to trade at the start of the day, for example, OTC markets. So building a position in OTC spot markets, which are highly liquid, very deep. And at the end of the day, once that position is built, the bank can then help to transfer and translate that position from OTC spot into a future. And what I'm doing by that as a client I'm benefiting from the best of two worlds. I'm benefiting from the deep OTC of ex-liquidity in spot markets. I'm benefiting from all the OTC market conventions. But I'm also, at the end of the day, receiving a futures position. My OTC position, so to say, is being netted out, disappears from my account. And I also get the benefits of the futures, ultimately, which are reduced capital requirements, which are reduced risk because the trades are fully collateralized, which are benefits under unclit margin rules and which are operational benefits that come along with standardized futures products. So clients seem to like it because they don't have to change much in their trading behavior. They can still trade where they used to trade in OTC markets but harness the benefits that come along with FX futures in such a scenario. So and ultimately, it's the development driven by banks. Just to follow that up, you asked why is it increasingly popular and more frequently used now? I think regulation is a key driver to the wave of development that we've seen in the off-exchange market. So with regulations such as SACA causing banks to look at how can they get around some of the increased cost of running a forward and swap time business, the EFP leaps out as a route to clear that activity, which can reduce the cost that the bank faces. The OTCFX market isn't broken. The OTCFX market still is a relationship market, and that's how it will always be, I expect. Do you then see this as essentially a regulatory play? where banks are saying, 
I want to keep trading OTC and not have to change my business, but I also don't want to be subject to some of these capital and margin rules and EFPs are a way around that. Yes, I think that's exactly what's driving the development we're seeing at the moment, that it's a way to monetize your OTC franchise, yet use clearing without the burden of OTC client clearing. So it's a simpler route to clear OTC activity because banks have futures set up already. They already clear client business in futures. So it's not a new thing they have to build out. The challenge at banks has been, from what we've seen, navigating the organization. So, you know, joining the dots between the FX division and the futures guys, the clearing guys, but that's a healthy thing. So it means the OTC market still works. The EFP is coming into the market increasingly as a route to clearing. If I can just add to that, Gail and David, so in addition to the regulatory drivers, of course, we have SACCR, of course, we have UMR, of course, we have EMEA refit and reporting changes. I think there's also a new consciousness of failures in the market. We had some significant bank failures in the beginning of the year. And I think this is now coming back into people's minds and also into the considerations that there is a substantial risk in certain exposures. And addressing this counterparty credit risk is also one of the drivers that we see why people are moving towards cleared products and therefore also into listed FX futures to ultimately reduce their counterparty credit risk towards their counterparties. And finally, I think we can't ignore operational aspects. We're working with a couple of market participants currently where we literally look at the efforts that are required in particularly mid and back offices to process, book, risk manage across the entire trade lifecycle of an FX trade, any trade done bilaterally. And if you compare trades done bilaterally with highly standardized FX futures, you will realize that the operational benefits that come with FX futures are quite significant. And add to the mix the new reporting requirements under EMEA refit, and suddenly you have a package of incentives why participants are currently looking at cleared and listed FX solutions. I take your point about being able to mix OTC liquidity with the benefits you just outlined there of listed and FX products, right? But at the same time, if you end up using futures products, then aren't people stuck with third Wednesday per month and IMM date value dates? Is this not a problem? Yeah. So you can't avoid the standardization of futures contracts. So whatever the value date is on the contract is the value date on the contract. Whatever the contract size is, you're trading in multiples of that contract size. That's why there's been a lot of work on flex futures. So that's the Eurex term for any value date futures. And so what I expect to see is flex futures where you can have any value date is something that really joins the dot with OTC value dates that are Typically not third Wednesday, typically not IMM when you yeah. do any talk to buy side guys. So flex is the answer to that question because then you can use the EFP, you can clear any value date into your cleared portfolio. And, and how much of a barrier do you think the standardization is for firms wanting to trade listed products? I think it has perceptual problems initially. You know, the comment that my value day isn't ever the third Wednesday of the month is something you do hear from some buy side. Beyond that, operationally, there are challenges. You know, you have to set up to use futures. There is some setup required. However, the flex futures argument is the thing that addresses point one, because it says, well, whatever your value date is, you could clear something to that value date. 
and achieve delivery at the right dates. You know, you've got exposure and risk management to the right dates. That's the thing that really aligns the use of futures with the OTCFX market. And if I can just add to that, introducing Flex Futures, it's a quite standard functionality for an exchange like Eurex. Not every exchange can support uh, flexible contract versions or flexible products, but for Eurex, it's a um, small lift to introduce it technically. We are in constant dialogue with various market participants, and what we have found is that very often market participants think they need a flexible expiration, but the moment we looked at their trading strategies and what they try to achieve, which is often a quite straightforward hedge business where you don't necessarily need a customized delivery or customized expiration. In fact, most of the futures across the globe are being rolled on a continuous basis, as is a substantial part of OTC FX business. So um, I think for the plain vanilla FX business that we see potentially moving to an exchange going forward, I don't think Flex Future is ultimately a necessity. However, it's something we are continuously monitoring when we then also look at stages two and three of futures candidates and who might be using futures. There are surely some trading strategies that require flexible dates. There are surely cases where you need to go into delivery at a certain point in time, for example, to fund your investment. But we found at this stage where we are right now in the market development and market evolution that we keep definitely an eye on the launch of Flex Futures, but it's slightly too early at this stage to launch them just yet. Let's stick with this topic of marrying the OTC and listed worlds together. Obviously, as you've outlined, the EFP brings together the, the deep liquidity of the OTC FX market with the capital margin operational efficiencies that can be derived from listed and clearing environment. So to my mind, the obvious question is, if we're bringing together the best of both worlds from each, why aren't we just seeing a stampede of people from the FX market running towards these products? As I said, I am hearing about them a lot more from people in the market. There seems to be uptake. But when presented like that, it, it seems like a no-lose proposition, and I'm always skeptical that those things exist. So I guess the question is, what's the catch here? So if you look just at the paperwork that is required, it's a very soft lift from our point of view. If you compare what you need to trade an FX future contract with a bilateral counterparty, which is a so-called give-up agreement, if you take that and compare it to a ISTA agreement and CSAs, it's an absolutely soft lift. Very often they are in place already because participants are trading futures, maybe not FX futures, but other asset classes with each other already. Those give up agreements can often be reused. Um, so from an onboarding perspective, it's a quite straightforward process. Ultimately, we are, I think, creatures of habit. It still requires some change in thinking, in how to approach things. It's to some extent a new business model when participants have never touched FX futures yet. So I think it's this slight mental exercise that the market is currently going through in a very conscious manner, actually. And this just requires a bit of time. I think there's no technical barriers. I think there's no legal barriers. It's just that evolution in the market they have to go through now. Evolution in the market, I think, is kind of the point to make there, that we have different areas of each bank, for example, that previously haven't really needed to work together on any client-facing proposition. So the FX guys have dealt bilaterally with clients or through a PB, that's absolutely fine. All OTC bilateral activity through execution, through settlement and provision of credit. 
it's adjoining the dots organizationally. So there are challenges there. And like I said before, the OTC market isn't broken. It's just had more cost pressures applied by regulation that's causing more people to look at this stuff and to actually take steps to deliver client propositions that use it. And so I would echo that what we hear on the ground is the same. There's more people talking about EFPs and off-exchange. There's more people doing work to get pricing right within the FX pricing stack. There's more people doing work to get the bookings right and the automation in place. It seems every bank is working on it. And I haven't seen that since the electronification of FX. I haven't seen a sort of every bank working on the same solution or the same type of proposition since then. So I think this is something that is taking place and the market will look a bit different in the next year. I want to pick up on something you said there and press you a little bit, David, which was you highlighted, I think the phrase you used was the OTC market isn't broken. So agreed. So then the question is, why would someone use an EFP rather than just OTC FX trade and then clear it centrally? Yeah, for me, OTC FX client clearing is a very difficult proposition to say is properly solved yet. There's differences in the settlement layer of OTC FX clearing and futures settlement clearing. Like I said before, the reason that you would favor EFPs over OTC FX clearing is as a bank or provider, you probably already have a futures clearing business that is already set up for client clearing of futures positions. So you already do all of the client margining, all of the collateral posting, all of that stuff. And OTC FX clearing isn't ready for critical mass yet for deliverable FX. I mean, it's fine for NDFs and it's fine for interbank, but for me, it doesn't fit as a client clearing proposition yet. So we've got all of the infrastructure in place. It's just joining the dots within the banks to make sure that the right bits are used. And then EFPs as a very simple transaction. The EFP itself is just an off-exchange transaction that lets you report a two-leg trade into the exchange and establish a futures position as a result. And so all of these things are there. They're within reach. And it, it doesn't surprise me that that's where the focus is, rather than building out a new proposition that has some challenges in the settlement layer. We're talking about EFPs. We're talking about flexi futures. To me, these all seem to be products that are kind of marrying elements of OTC and listed trading. Do you see this hybrid model of products as where the FX market is or is going to gravitate to ultimately? I think it's a, if, pardon the pun, a futures play. Um, the, the market is there. These things exist. The adoption of these products and the understanding of these products. I mean, there's many different ways to establish a futures position. You know, you can trade in the exchange order book. That's great for firm pricing, all to all model, undisclosed. You never know who you traded with in the exchange club, but the size might limit you. You know, the size available throughout the day might limit you to what activities you do there. So off-exchange steps up as the route to maintain relationship trading, to be able to trade in size or get the price that you really want and then have that reported into the exchange. So these things all exist. What's new is that more providers are including them in a client proposition. Just because it's a way to monetize OTC relationships and still exploit the relationships you have in a positive way, but get the benefits of clearing. So I think the market will use these increasingly as the year progresses. I think it depends on the type of client you're looking to. Yeah? You, of course, you have participants whose business model is to trade into an order book, potentially at multiple exchanges to benefit from price differences uh, as an arbitrageur. So, of course, for them, the business model is trading in an order book. 
you might have CTA and hedge fund type participants that are trading quite frequently, that are trying to generate alpha out of trading FX. They might be trading in high volume, but relatively small sizes. For them, an order book, anonymous, undisclosed, all to all, is a fantastic execution model. On the other side, you have then, and I think this is the trend we're currently seeing, real money participants that are joining the market, looking into using more FX futures as they had before. And they might be coming with a different nature of a business. They might be coming with a more hedge portfolio. They might not be trading very frequently, but large in size. And suddenly you have an entire different problem to solve as a trader in such a firm. Suddenly you want to get a trade done at a large size. And then an off-book trading model, be it block trades or be it EFPs, is probably where you feel most comfortable as you get the trade done quickly. You can access bank and non-bank LP liquidity and you have full oversight of your execution outcome. So I think it depends on who you are in the market and that will determine which trading model is right for you. Tobias, you've kind of touched on the answer to my next question, but I'm going to throw it out to you anyways, because I promised at the top that I was going to play the skeptic. Obviously, Eurex has these products. I'm not giving anything away by saying this isn't the only exchange group that's trying to produce some OTC listed hybrid products of varying shapes and sizes. Do you think that the appearance of these kind of products suggests actually that the appetite for traditional listed products among the broader FX market is somewhat limited? It's definitely not limited. We see the volumes are growing year on year. Last year, for example, we I think we had five record quarters in a row. All over the year, 180% growth, traded uh, 1.7 million contracts first time in such a height that we became a substantial liquidity source for various market participants. So the volume definitely tell a different story. More important is member feedback. So on the client side and the client onboarding side in particular, we are seeing more banks than ever onboarding. I have to say it's a really fantastic time currently to be in FX future sales because it is actually fun. It is great if you have a product <laughs> where people are interested, and David mentioned it before, where banks are working on similar solutions around cleared FX products. And the same is also true for the client side. So there is not a week or a month where you don't have interested clients coming up and going into the onboarding process. So in the finance industry, I feel it is always slower than everyone is hoping, in particular without any mandated change. But the development and the evolution, again, is definitely going in the right direction. And that's being shown in the volume development as well as, and that's, I think, even more important in what we hear from the market, in what market participants are doing and in what banks are working on. One last question, we'll end with a forward-looking one. You mentioned at the beginning that EFPs as products have kind of evolved over time. How do you or do you see EFPs kind of continuing to evolve going forward? Yeah, so there's the thing about EFPs. The EFP itself is just an off-exchange transaction. That's the tool that you use to report your two-leg trade, so one OTC versus the corresponding futures into the exchange. So the thing that's changing as we speak is what happens before that. So that's the amassing of an OTC position that then gets turned into futures via the EFP. And what we see is that OTC liquidity providers are being creative here. So they're looking at what does algo flow look like? Can that use an EFP to actually clear the results of an OTC algo? Is it just about block trades to do risk transference pricing? 
Yeah, for some clients it is, but other clients are looking more at what they like about the OTC market. And then can we EFP the results of that? And is it one big EFP at the end of that? Or is it each step through a particular activity? So that's where the change is. I mean, the transaction type itself in exchange terms is not changing. It does what it does. It's in the rule book. The rules are set. They haven't changed. What we see is the OTC market beginning to adopt this from an FX perspective. As I said previously, it's always sat somewhere else within the banks. And so clients haven't necessarily had a route through to the guy that was able to book EFPs, but it's changing. So the FX divisions within banks are owning the EFP proposition. And so there's some build to join the dots in the bank to provide that. And then there's then what we do at platforms, you know, so for our platform, for example, we have functionality for the futures guys wanting to request the block trade from LPs in competition. We can do that right now. We can do the same for EFPs. If someone wants to request an EFP in competition, 360T has that. What we see changing is within our API, for example, we're integrating blocks and EFPs into OTC messaging within the API because that's where the change is. It's the OTC FX market using these products. And it's not as distinct products. It's not like you've got forwards, options, swaps, blocks, and EFPs. The change is coming from you've got forwards and swaps. Oh, actually, you could futurize that through blocks or EFPs. And so that's the direction we're going. That's the direction that we see happening at banks, the desire to be able to clear through blocks and EFPs and use that with their OTC franchise. So that's, for me, where the change is. Well, that's all I had for you today, gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. I can't believe that we've been running this podcast for a couple of years now and we've never talked listed FX. I can assure you it won't be that long before we readdress the issue. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Thanks a lot for having us. And to our listeners, please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T Podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.